You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Wednesday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of the discussion by submitting questions and takes and whatever you might have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I address it here on this podcast. As a reminder, you can have your item addressed on an episode of Herd Mentality by sending me an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com, or shooting me a DM on Twitter. Before I get into today's questions, I do want to give a shout out to Be Mormon 2020. And you guys probably recognize that name because Be Mormon 2020 usually sends us a good question each week for the Herd Mentality podcast. And he's been a little bit quiet recently. And that's because him and his wife welcomed a baby girl into the world, his first. And my guy is swooning over that new baby, and so he hasn't had the time to submit a question, and that's okay. We'll hear from him soon enough, Uh, but I did want to take this opportunity today to say congratulations to Be Mormon 2020 and his wife for the new addition to their family. Let's start with Mike. Mike says, do you see a player that fills the Lorenzo Alexander role this offseason? I don't think that void was necessarily filled by the combo of Klein and Medikavich. Would Hassan Reddick be more apt to fill the Zoe role? Or do you think Zoe was just a unique veteran player that got production late in his career because of how McDermott and Frazier utilized him? Linebacker is a need for Buffalo this offseason. Are there any prospects that compare to Zoe that intrigue you? All right, so this is going to be very painful for me. You gave Sean McDermott credit for being able to use Lorenzo Alexander effectively late in his career. And that is true. But so did Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan was also a big part and reason why we saw such great production from Lorenzo Alexander late into his career. So not a whole lot went good or right for Rex Ryan, but uh, we got to give him some credit for Lorenzo Alexander. Now I recognize that You look at the difference in results from the Bills' defense in 2019 and 2020 and acknowledge that Lorenzo Alexander was missing from this year's group. And, uh, you know, you can sort of go back and say that it was a role that they missed, right? That versatile player, that leadership, a guy that can rush from the inside and the outside, give you quality special teams play and stand up and play off ball linebacker. If the Bills want to find a player that can replicate that type of skill set, I do think Hassan Reddick is an option to pursue in free agency. Um, He's uh, more of a pass rusher. I'm not sure that you're going to use him as a a Sam linebacker and ask him to play downhill into the line of scrimmage. I think he's more of a situational rush guy. Um, So I think he can give you that piece of the Lorenzo Alexander role. I like Zaven Collins from Tulsa in the draft. I think he's definitely a player that can do all that type of stuff for the Bills. Uh, Baron Browning from Ohio State is another option. Kyle Van Noy, who was recently released from the Miami Dolphins, I think he'll be an expensive player, 
But if you really feel like you need to replicate that skill set in another player, Kyle Van Noy can give you that type of contributions. Now, unfortunately, A.J. Klein is still going to be around. His contract is not anything that the Bills can get out of. So you're going to be pretty heavily tied up in Van Noy and Klein if you go down that role. But you certainly get the pass rush ability from Van Noy that you lost with Lorenzo Alexander, potentially an upgrade in that department. Kincaid said, who is this year's day two pass rusher that could become the next Yannick Ngakwe since he was picked number 69 overall? Well, I've got some names for you to consider. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pound the table and say that, yep, that's the next Yannick Ngakwe, because if that were true, we're talking about a top 15 player in the draft. But I'll give you some guys that intrigue me on day two as far as pass rushers go. And we'll get deeper into these players as the process unfolds here. Uh, But just to introduce you to some names, I would like to tell you about Jordan Smith from UAB, Patrick Johnson from Tulane, Peyton Turner from Houston. Those are probably my three favorite day two pass rushers. Janarius Robinson from Florida State is very interesting to me. I really like Victor Dimukeje. Uh, from Duke as well. So those are some of my favorite guys. If you're thinking day two, pass rusher, uh, those are guys that I'd be targeting. Smooth says, is Kawan Short a good fit for the Bills, and would you cut Jefferson to get the cap space to sign Short? How do Carolina fans slash your wife feel about him being cut? I would not cut Quentin Jefferson to bring in Kawan Short. I am interested in Kawan Short if it's on a very small deal, like a veteran minimum type deal that is incentive laden. Because the problem with Short is he just hasn't played. He's only played in five games over the last two seasons. He signed a five-year, $80 million contract in April of 2017. And then he wound up being a good player in 2017 and 2018. But 19 and 20, he's been nowhere to be found. His release was very much expected in Carolina based on the direction of that team kind of being in a rebuild, him being an older player with injury concerns. He's 32 years old, and, you know, they just haven't got the production from him recently. So, um, you know, I I think if Kwan Short can stay healthy, I think he can help the football team, but he hasn't been able to do that recently. And we're talking about a guy that has played a lot of football in his career, and I think his best days are behind him. So if you bring him in for a a veteran minimum deal, lots of incentives baked into that deal, I can get behind him. But I don't know that you can count on him because he's not proven to be reliable over the last several seasons. Now, as far as, you know, like I mentioned, the perception in Carolina was that this was very much an expected move. Everybody loved Kawan Short when he was – you know, dominating the NFL from 2015 to 2018. But, you know, he hasn't been that player recently, and I think everyone's kind of moved on uh, mentally and emotionally from him being part of the team. So my wife um, is very much okay with Kawan Short being released, but she's already made her jokes about him being a Buffalo Bill. Smooth had a second question. It's a good one. He said, do you think if the Bills re-sign John Feliciano, ignoring salary for this discussion because the spot rack market seems insanely high, that it will impact if the Bills draft an offensive lineman on day one or day two? This is assuming Daryl Williams is re-signed because if he is not, 
This is a whole other discussion. In all my mock drafts on the Draft Network, there always seems to be great value at offensive line in the first or second round. You know, if the Bills re-sign John Feliciano, I'm really interested to find out what the plan with Cody Ford is because I can see them thinking he's their right tackle and Darrell Williams walks. I can also see him in competition with Ike Bakker for the left guard job. So to me, the bigger chip in this discussion is Darrell Williams. If Darrell Williams is re-signed, I do think it's less likely that the Bills draft an offensive lineman in the first round, but I would expect one of the Bills' first three picks to probably be an offensive lineman because I don't think there's a course forward where Feliciano and Williams are both back, and in addition to needing to replace whoever you don't bring back, you have depth concerns at offensive tackle with Ty Inseki also being a free agent. So there's some there's some pieces to the puzzle to fit together here, and regardless of which one they bring back, I expect the Bills to make an early selection at the offensive line, but I don't know if they would pick a guard at pick 30. Ma'am Burry says, my question is regarding Star Latulale. Why are we not even considering cutting him? His time as a Bill, in my opinion, hasn't been great. Good, yes, but nothing out of the ordinary. Could you provide me with some insights as why Star is so important to us besides playing his technique? Would there be any substantial savings to releasing him? Well, I do think that the Bills need a boost at one technique. I think we felt Star Latulale's presence missed last year with some of their struggles defending the run and not necessarily getting the right groupings on the field at defensive tackle because they missed that true one technique. So I do think he has a lot of value in his role. The reason that nobody's talking about cutting Star is because there's no incentive to do so. There's no savings to be had. If the Bills cut Star Latulale, they accumulate $11.8 million in dead cap space to gain $7.6 million. It's a net result of minus $4.2 million in cap space with his release. Oh, by the way, it's also if he retires. So for some reason, Star Latulale says, I'm done. I'm not going to play anymore, which is not something that's rumored or there's been any rumblings about, but in the back of my mind, I think it's a possibility given he opted out of the season. He had that heart condition at the combine. He could be concerned about COVID. Uh, his brother retired early from football. His sister is selling Bill's gear on Facebook. You know, like, I'm not sure that there's not a discussion to consider here about Star Latule potentially retiring. So if he's released or retired, the Bills lose $4.2 million in cap space. So that's why nobody's talking about Star being cut is because there's no savings to be had. In fact, you make your cap situation worse if he's released. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds 
and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Next one today comes from Justin, who says, was wondering what you thought of Isaiah Wilson heading into last year's draft. With reports of the Titans shopping him presumably for a very cheap price, could he be the answer for the Bills to provide depth as a swing tackle and possibly contend for a starting job on a cheaper rookie deal if we were to lose Daryl Williams? It's a good question. Isaiah Wilson, a first-round pick last year of the Tennessee Titans, and obviously his rookie season was a complete disaster. So I'll give you my unbiased look at Isaiah Wilson. This is what I said in the summary section of my scouting report on Isaiah Wilson uh, when I scouted him for the 2020 NFL Draft. I said, in all everything recruit, Isaiah Wilson started for two seasons at Georgia before declaring for the NFL Draft. An impressive blend of size, mobility, and power, Wilson has some dominant reps on tape as both a run blocker and pass blocker where his traits simply allow him to take over. With that said, honing in on the technical side of the game to maximize his rare physical gifts is critical for him to reach his ceiling at the next level. There are notable concerns with his hands and feet that need to improve, but nothing that is unfixable, and his foundation of unteachable traits are the appeal here. Wilson has an extremely high ceiling, but development is needed. He's a scheme-versatile blocker that projects best to the right side. So obviously, things have gone horribly for Isaiah Wilson for the Titans. I had him rated as a second-round talent, and there were some concerns coming out of Georgia about you know his football character and his love for the game. Um, and if you look at this timeline, I want to go through it here because I think it's important as we consider him as an option for the Bills to understand what's happened over the last nine or ten months of Isaiah Wilson's career. So obviously he was a first-round pick in April 2020. On July 28th, training camp opens, and Isaiah Wilson was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. On August 15th, Tennessee State University police issued a trespass warning to Wilson after they broke up an on-campus party at which other attendees were cited for drugs, curfew violations, and attempts to flee. The Titans handled this internally. September 6th, Wilson was placed in the COVID-19 reserve list for a second time. On September 11th, Wilson was arrested and charged with driving under the influence of a breathalyzer test administered at the time found his blood alcohol content was well above the legal limit. He was released on $1,000 bond. November 29th, Wilson made his NFL debut in a game against the Colts. He played three snaps on offense and one snap on special teams. December 5th, he was suspended for the game against the Cleveland Browns for a violation of team rules. December 9th, Wilson was placed on the reserve non-football illness list and uh, the team released a statement that said he is dealing with some personal issues. On February 16th, uh, John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, said that for whatever reason, the player this fall that was here in Nashville wasn't the guy we spent time with last year. He adds that what happens next is going to be on Wilson. And then a few days later, February 22nd, Isaiah Wilson sent out a tweet that said he is done with football as a Titan. 
I don't think so. I don't know if the Bills are going to be interested in this guy, and I'm certainly not going to trade an asset for him and just assume his rookie contract. If I'm going to kick the tires on Isaiah Wilson, I'm going to let him be waived. I'm going to let him clear waivers, and I am going to sign him for a minimum deal and uh, see what he's made of from that perspective. But I'm not interested in, in taking on his contract or parting with an asset to acquire him. Edgar says, yesterday you said that your messaging on the roster building for 2021 was what the Bills can do, not how. But let's assume that for today you are the Bills GM. What would your first five moves be? All right, I got them for you. Number one, I'm re-signing Daryl Williams. Number two, I'm cutting Vernon Butler. Number three, I'm restructuring and extending the contracts of John Brown, Jerry Hughes, and Mitch Morse, and I'm going to try to restructure Mario Addison. Number four, I'm going to sign Ryan Kerrigan, Nicholas Moreau, and Matt Breida, as well as make a run at Melvin Ingram. Number five, I'm going to develop a draft strategy where we get more athletic at cornerback and find some toolsy players in the trenches. So that would be my five-step plan there uh, if I were the Bills' general manager. Mike says, since it appears that Matt Milano is going to test the open market, I would be surprised if he came back to the Bills. I believe a team will overpay him, and the Bills simply won't be able to match. With that said, I think the Bills' plan to replace Milano would most likely be a combination of a draft pick, a lesser free agent signing, and A.J. Klein. However, do you see a scenario where the Bills could be interested in drafting Nick Bolton to be our Mike linebacker and maybe transition Edmonds into the will position? I have read many good things about Bolton's instincts and physical toughness from the middle linebacker position. Traits that Edmonds seems to fall short on more times than not. I believe letting Edmonds roam free in the Milano role where he could think less and just react would better utilize his speed, length, and ability to match up with tight ends in the middle of the field. Interesting to me, Mike. You know, I like Nick Bolton. I do think he's much better suited to play Mike linebacker. I see what you're saying, that putting Tremaine Edmonds in a pursuit-style role uh, could be advantageous for him. Now, I do worry about the lateral mobility and change of direction skills for Edmonds, but you know, maybe if you uh, just kind of get him in space and he knows that's his role and you know, maybe he can trim down a little bit and become a little bit more explosive laterally, it might not be a bad idea. So um, don't hate it. I don't hate this at all, and I think the value for the Bills at 30 could be Nick Bolton, and I think if you draft Nick Bolton, I think you wanted to be your Mike. So I, I'm curious. I'm curious about the idea. It's not bad. David says, with the news of Alex Smith being released by the Washington football team, how do you feel about him as a backup quarterback? How much money would he command, and do we have the space? Well, to answer the last question, do we have the space? No, the Bills don't have any cap space right now. So <laughs> everything that's going to happen here in free agency is going to come as a result of corresponding moves to clear up cap space. But at the end of the day, the Bills do have to get a backup quarterback unless they want to roll into camp with Josh Allen, Jake Fromm, and Davis Webb as the three guys on the roster. Um, Matt Barkley is a free agent. So if they bring him back, it's going to come on a new deal and cap space that has to be created. So would I be interested in Alex Smith? Sure. Um, I think Alex Smith can come in and check the ball down and make easy throws. Obviously, 
he's not the same player that he was in Kansas City or in his first year in Washington before he got hurt where you saw some mobility and he was kind of opening up as a thrower down the field. But, you know, if he can get into the game, not turn over the football, try to keep the offense on schedule, all right, that's fine. He's more interesting than Matt Barkley to me. So I consider that an upgrade. You know, this guy's made like almost $200 million in his career in the NFL. At this point, I'm not sure money's a high priority to him. He probably just wants to continue playing to continue writing that comeback story and, you know, being part of a football team. I think that Jacksonville will probably be very interested in Alex Smith. You think about his connection to Urban Meyer. They were together in Utah. Obviously, Alex Smith was great for Patrick Mahomes as a mentor in that first year in 2017. You think about Jacksonville about to bring in Trevor Lawrence to the equation. Be great for him to have that type of guy alongside him. But, you know, if Alex Smith wants to go to a, a contender and be a backup and, uh, you know, make sure that there's insurance at quarterback if the starter has to miss a few games, Buffalo seems like a good spot for that. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They have 18 amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are caramel brownie, cookies and cream. I really like coconut almond. Lemon almond cheesecake is underrated. They're all delicious, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. Built Bar is great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone who is on the keto diet. Got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON20 and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON20 for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Next one comes from Justin, who says, since we're in draft season, could you give us three realistic best player available options at pick 30? And also, who is your big draft crush that you would be jumping up and down if the Bills were to select him at 30? Also, are you in team pick at 30 or team trade down to get as many picks as you can in rounds two to four? All right, so three realistic best player available options to me at 30 are Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle, Michigan, Greg Newsom, the second cornerback from Northwestern, and Kadarius Toney, wide receiver from Florida. Some of my dream players that I would love for the Bills to get at pick 30, number one is Quiddy Pay, the edge from Michigan. I don't think there's any way he gets there. Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive lineman from USC. Don't think there's any chance he gets there. And Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. Those guys would move the needle for me in a big way. But we'll get deeper into draft talk as uh, things move along here. But those are some of my early ideas. Stu says, with it looking more and more like Matt Milano's days in Buffalo are numbered, if the Bills are looking to replace him in the draft, who is a realistic target in each of the first three rounds that has a similar skill set to Milano? All right, so we talked about Nick Bolton, but I think Nick Bolton is more of a Mike linebacker. He's from Missouri. Two guys in the first round that I think really could replicate the Milano role, uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. I don't know that he gets to 30, but that would be a dream. Jabril Cox from LSU. He's a player that very much can do the Milano stuff. 
In the second round, you're probably looking at a guy like Baron Browning from Ohio State, Jamin Davis from Kentucky, and then in the third round, I would say Chaz Surratt from North Carolina. Those are the guys that kind of have similar skill in size and measurables and ability as Matt Milano, just to give you some names to chew on as uh, as we consider these draft options. Jared says, just wondering if you think pro day numbers are slightly inflated for prospects, uh, comparing them to the combine. And which prospects could you see having a Vernon Golston effect and be a workout superstar, but skills don't translate to the field? So, yes, I do. I do think that pro day numbers are inflated, and a lot of people have done studies on this that prove that to be true, where guys just magically perform better at a pro day than they do at a combine. And I really like the combine for that reason. It's the same playing field for everyone. Everyone's running on the same track under the same conditions. Everyone traveled in to go to Indianapolis and compete there. I don't care how fast you are when you're comfortable, you're at home, you're where you want to be, you're where you trained. Get on that level playing field and go out and compete against your contemporaries. So yeah, I think not having that level playing field at the Combine this year is going to be a challenge because we're already starting to see it. Everyone's going to run a 4-3 this year. You know, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace, did anybody really think those were 4-3 caliber athletes watching them on tape? No, but reports are that they ran that fast at the uh, at the Exos Combine. So it'll be interesting. I will be at a Combine this week. I'm actually leaving today, Wednesday, and I'll be in Miami uh, until Saturday for the House of Athlete Combine. It's uh, put on by Brandon Marshall and some other NFL players, and uh, some big-time prospects will be there that I'll get a chance to time for myself, right? Travis Etienne's among the players that'll be there, Chaz Surratt, Sage Surratt, Eric Stokes, uh, Jamar Chase. A lot of big-time prospects will be there. So uh, I'll be able to uh, get eyes on these players and uh, and see what all this uh, pro day combine testing is all about. Next one today comes from Tyler. Tyler says, how do you grade players on physical gifts versus technical ability? I think to last year drafting Epinesa, who had the technical prowess and stats, but lacked the true athletic gifts versus someone like Caleb on Chason, who was raw but looked like a creative player. How do you grade them and what side do you prefer? Well, you like to have both. You like to have both of those things. You want technical refinement and physical gifts. That's where you get your first round talents. But the reality is most players don't check both boxes. It's tough. At certain positions, I prefer the physical gifts more than the technical side. But I always kind of go back to stuff that you can teach versus stuff that you can't teach. I can't teach you to be explosive and fast and fluid changing directions and have long arms and have great size. I can't teach you that. I can teach you a football technique and how to process and those types of things. So I'm, I probably lean physical gifts but you have to have some semblance of technique. The players that I've missed on the most in my scouting efforts have been guys that I didn't buy in enough to their physical gifts, and they got better. I think about a guy like Daniil Hunter from the Minnesota Vikings. I was all the way out on him, and my goodness, he had rare physical tools. I just thought he played like a bull in a china shop. 
So I, I try to give the benefit of the doubt to players that have those rare physical gifts but are lacking on the technical side. Uh, there was another question here from Tyler that I want to address, and I figured I'd get this question at some point, so I want to give you a good answer. Um, Tyler said, give me another reason for wanting Isaiah McDuffie besides him being from Buffalo. So I figured there would be a lot of questions about Isaiah McDuffie. He played high school ball in Buffalo. Um, he then went to Boston College, was a converted safety to linebacker, super athletic player. And I figured people would ask me about him, not only because of the Buffalo connection, but that he went to Boston College and plays linebacker, converted safety, and kind of that Matt Milano 2.0 thought. All right, so let me tell you what I wrote about Isaiah McDuffie as we consider him as a target for the Bills. This is what I said. A high school running back and linebacker, Isaiah McDuffie initially played safety at Boston College before transitioning and settling into the linebacker position where he started for two and a half seasons. McDuffie's best year came in 2018, and he never built on that season. When studying McDuffie on film, it's easy to notice his functional athleticism, quickness, fluidity, and urgency. He's a good athlete that is hard-charging in pursuit and plays the game with great enthusiasm. McDuffie is an excellent tackler that aims low, wraps, and rarely comes up empty. From a physical traits perspective, he has the ability to play in space and coverage. With that said, McDuffie has to become a better processor. While he makes quick reads, they are often incorrect. Compounding matters is that he often plays the game through a straw and struggles to get off blocks. McDuffie has many of the characteristics of a matchup linebacker in a 4-3 defense where he can cover, play in space, and pursue, but he has a long way to go in terms of play diagnosing and processing skills. McDuffie was a steady presence on special teams at Boston College, and that is probably his best chance of sticking at the next level to give him a chance to develop as a linebacker. So I don't think he's going to be an immediate answer for anyone, but if you're willing to be patient, he develops, he gets the mental side of things down. I really like the athleticism, the urgency, the physicality, uh, but he's got a long way to go before he's ready to play defense in the NFL. In fact, I would kind of say that if you watch him on tape, he's a dog chasing cars out there. Has no idea where he's going or why he's going there. He's in a hurry to get everywhere, but man, he's athletic and physical. So you're, you know, prototypical day three prospect with some upside and you hope he can develop into something more. So I'd be interested, you know, as a developmental option, I just don't know that you're going to get much out of him in year one or even year two. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast. I'm very excited about our discussion tomorrow. We're going to talk about Josh Allen, but through a different lens. I want to talk about the things that I learned scouting Josh Allen and how Josh Allen's evaluation has impacted me as a draft analyst and, you know, just things that I learned. And so I, I'm going to be candid and honest about a lot of that. So don't miss it. Make sure that you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.